We are continuing to press forward in Luke's gospel. This morning we find ourselves in chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. We're still early in in Jesus' public ministry, but all along the way we've seen Jesus do some really impressive things. He has healed people. Uh, He has cast out demons. He has preached to his own hometown and got himself run right out of his own hometown. If that's not impressive, I don't know what is. All along the way, he's developed a a really large following. And we'll see that right away in this text. He's developed this very large following. A crowd has developed, kind of wondering what in the world he's going to do next or or, or say next. Uh, And that's what leads us to this passage. And I want to give you a fair warning. One of the main characters in this passage is Simon. That's Simon Peter whom I know is Peter, and uh, I'm going to call him Peter throughout this story, but he's listed in the story as Simon, and I don't want to confuse you, okay? So if I say Peter, that's who I'm talking about, all right? Let me read this passage. I'll pray, and then we will dig in together. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Father, this is your word and we're grateful for it. And I pray that as we listen to it this morning, as I preach, I ask that you would show yourself to us, that we might uh, learn to follow you. And so I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be good and right and pleasing before you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Please help me to serve these people well, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember it. Like it was yesterday, I was a younger man, early in my call as a pastor at a church. This was years ago, so don't try and trace me back to find out which church this was at. But I gathered at a house by the side of a lake, a lake house, if you will, uh, for two days. We had two days committed. Leaders of a church, key leaders, had gathered up to try and work out vision and mission statements for the church. And uh, I remember the setting was lovely. There were lots of large windows that gave us a nice view of the lake. Coffee and snacks were spread out all over the room, which is very important for this kind of work. 
And the conversation started out with all kind of energy. Uh, hope and commitment and desires were being expressed for what we could do for the sake of this church and, and what this church could do for the sake of the kingdom. And uh, I remember as the day started to go on, and we inevitably with these things, we started to quibble a little bit over different ideas and began to wordsmith things to death. And, uh, and there was a general fatigue started to settle over the room about early afternoon, right? People started to get restless. Some people got up to get another cup of coffee, just like working to stay engaged. We all started eating a little more chocolate. And uh, my senior pastor, I remember just getting a sense of this malaise that had kind of set in on us, suggested that we take a break. And no one resisted him. And uh, me, naive, young, kind of in a process like this for the first time was just getting a sense for what it, like how intensive it can be to try to set a, set up a mission or a, a group mission, vision or mission statements for a complex organization or a complex group of people with all, all with different kind of ideas that they're bringing to the table. And so I went to my boss, the senior pastor, and uh, I don't know how... Um, generous I was with this, but I went and I asked him, what, why, why are we investing so much into trying to work these things out? Like, is it really worth it? I think was the gist of the question that I asked him. And he looked at me and with a gracious smile, he could have ripped my head off, but, uh, he looked at me with a gracious smile and this is what he said. He said, I know this is hard. But if we can't clarify what we're trying to do or where we're going, it will be very hard for anyone else to jump in with us. And, of course, that's intuitively true. Like, we, we get excited about uh, an organization or a person who walks with purpose, whose trajectory is, in, like, this is where we're trying to go. And it would be very hard for us to commit ourselves to a movement or to following a person if we don't know what that end game is, Right? And I say all this to say this, I don't get any sense from studying Luke that Jesus ever took one step or said one word without a clear sense of what he's doing. He seems totally clear-minded and full of purpose in every story that we look like. Like he knows what he's going to say. He knows what he's there to do all the time. Everything feels full of purpose. But if you've been reading this book for the first time, let's just say, or you've been like walking down this narrative with no idea of where it was going, you would have a lot of understanding that there's something incredible about this guy. He's sent from God. He has amazing power and authority. People are captivated by his speaking. He has power over even evil powers and is able to liberate people from things that they, where they could not help themselves. But you would have no idea what he's going to do next. And so that begs a question to me. How are people going to get swept up in his movement if they don't know where he's going? If his trajectory isn't front loaded, what does following Jesus actually look like? Like how could people be drawn in to that work? And in fact, as we continue in this book, you're going to see a lot of ways that the people around Jesus are confused by him. 
sometimes they resist him when they hear about the next things that he's going to do. And some people get him and some people don't. And there's this general mystery that seems to follow him throughout his public ministry. But in this passage, what we have is an amazing story where a man sees Jesus for who he is without any understanding of, of, uh, of where he's going and somehow commits himself radically to, uh, to serving Jesus without any understanding of where it might take him. It's just amazing. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning is, how does that even happen? How did Jesus pull this off with Peter? And I want to answer that question by looking at three things. So if you're taking notes, these are the three points. The first is, what's Jesus' approach? The approach of Jesus. The second is the revelation of Jesus. And finally, the transformation. Jesus transforms Peter. So approach, revelation, transformation. So what does this approach look like? The first thing Jesus does is he just draws Peter in. And he does it in a really interesting way. But like he just pulls Peter toward himself. The crowd is pressing in on Jesus. And Jesus goes to Peter and enlists his help to get into Peter's boat and push off from the shore so that he could sit down and teach them. Now, sitting down was the posture of a teacher in those days, which sounds really lovely, doesn't it? And, uh, and so what we know is that there's inlets along this lake, and it creates this perfect amphitheater. But Peter is drawn in at this point because he's now on a boat with Jesus at Jesus' initiation. Think about this. What would it be like to sit on a boat with Jesus, like next to Jesus, as Jesus is teaching a crowd like this. It's, it, it seems to me like Jesus has established Peter in this very privileged position. And then Jesus goes further with Peter. He finishes his teaching, and his request seems almost casual to me. Like, hey, Peter, let's push out from shore a little bit and drop the nets, and maybe we'll see what happens. Um, now, for a fisherman like Peter, this would not make sense. This, this is kind of a strange request for him for two reasons, one of which is in the text. We fished all night and we caught nothing, is what Peter said. Fish, we're not catching fish right now, Jesus. And then the other reason is that in that part of the world, fishermen know that you just don't catch fish very often during the day. But one of the things I want you to see is that Jesus is making requests of Peter that cost him very little. Peter's just simply doing the things that Jesus asked him to do, but Jesus hasn't made a really heavy request on Jesus. Jesus hasn't made a really heavy request on Peter yet. He's just asking for very little. Nothing about that would have been difficult. But what's the trajectory of all this activity? Jesus initiates, and Peter's just responding. Jesus is moving toward engaging Peter, initiating with Peter, and and Jesus is simply responding. And that's the way it works with Jesus. He goes to him exactly where he is. He's engaging Peter on his own turf, on a lake that Peter's really familiar with, in Peter's boat. And he's asking Peter to just do fisherman things, things that, that, that Peter would have been very comfortable with. And why is this important? Because I just want you to see that Peter wasn't doing anything special at all when Jesus invades his life. Like, he he didn't go to the temple and find the person that's praying exalted prayers. Although, that's a fine thing to do. 
He's not hosting Bible studies out of his house. He's not, you know, maybe running a shelter. And all of those things are fine to do, but, but, but Jesus comes to Peter at cleaning his nets after a tough night on the job. It's, that, it's just that simple. And, and, and you have examples of this all over the Bible. God comes to Moses and Moses is tending his sheep. Samuel comes to David and David is out with the herd. Nehemiah is just a, he's a cup, he's a servant. He's a cupbearer of a foreign king. It's not an exalted position. These guys are not doing, these guys are doing important, but it's not like significant kingdom changing work when, when, when Jesus or God comes right to them and catches them up. And I say all this to say, say all that to say this. I want you to see that it is in the knit and the grit of our lives that Jesus comes to us. Like we can't earn his attention. He comes to us just because he wants to. And he comes to us, he comes to ordinary people doing ordinary things. It's this incredible hope that Jesus sets his eyes on Peter and Peter, by all appearances, looks like just a normal dude going about his work. And so I want you to hear there's never a time or place or an activity where you might be too far removed from God's loving will toward you. And sometimes he's subtle about it and sometimes he's not. But when Jesus has his eyes set on you, he comes for you. And what does Jesus do when he comes for you? What did he do with Peter? In a very physical and personal way, Jesus simply reveals who he is to Peter in an unmistakable way, in a way that, only, in a way that Peter would understand in a very powerful way. Jesus just does what Jesus told him, or Peter just does what Jesus told him to do. At your word, I will let down the nets. It's the only reason he had. And then he, bring, then he begins to bring in so many fish that his boat is sinking. Another boat comes in to help, and that boat begins sinking too. Now, when I was a kid and I heard this story, I thought that must have been because they had really small boats. This was a long time ago. Maybe these were like rowboats that were maybe eight feet long. But we actually know that these boats were 26 and a half feet long. These were very large boats. And we, we know that they had a one-ton capacity, each of these boats. Peter is bringing in, perhaps Jesus worked a miracle where Peter is bringing in more fish than that lake should have had. Like, I don't know. It's just a ton of fish that Peter's bringing in. And Peter's grappling with this net full of so many fish, it's heavy enough to begin sinking two of these boats. And I just wonder what that might have been like for Jesus. Like looking at Peter as Peter's wrestling around with this net and uh, as, uh, as he's like scrambling and waving to his business partners to try to get him some help. And all of this is to show what Jesus had in mind that at the very beginning, this is what Jesus wanted. Jesus wanted Peter to know who he was. Jesus was revealing who he was to Peter. Did he come to that lake to teach the crowd? Absolutely. He said, I must teach the good news of the kingdom of God coming. He said it many times. Okay. But Jesus wasn't leaving that lake without revealing himself to Peter. And, and not for nothing, 
But I think the most important thing that we need to understand about this is that this is a very personal thing that Jesus does. Because friends reveal themselves to each other. Who knows you? Like, who really knows you? Who would be able to speak to your fears and your hopes? Your victories and your failures? Who, look, who is able to look at you and understand your inclinations or your intuitions? Who knows you deep in your gut? Who knows you? It's the people that you want to know you. Right? And so this very personal interaction that, that Jesus gives to Peter is an act of great love. When God shows himself to his people and calls them as his disciples, it's, be, it's for no other reason than because he loves them. It's deeply personal. The Bible tells us that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And so Peter comes to know Jesus that day because simply because Jesus wanted him to. And listen, if you know Jesus this morning, it's for one reason. It's because Jesus wants you to know him. Because he looks at you with love and calls you to himself. And if you're sitting there thinking about all the reasons that you are unfit to be even near God or to have company with Jesus, then I want you to understand that you're in good company because that was Peter's response too. Peter is undone when Jesus reveals himself to him. Did you see that? Uh, it's verse, I think it's verse 5. Uh, sorry, no, it's later. He says, depart from me, get away from me, for I am a sinful man. He is captured by the idea that if Jesus is the holy God who's in the boat with him, then in his unholiness, he shouldn't be with him. He's talking about his own sin. And you see examples of that all the time. Uh, one of which we read this morning in the service in Isaiah 6. What did Isaiah say? When he's seeing this vision of God and all of his glory and all of his holiness, Isaiah, all, what he says is, depart, I am a man of unclean lips. Is when, when we're in the presence of holiness, it reveals our deep unholiness. That's what happens. And that's what makes the precious The next words of Jesus, so precious to the faithful. Because Jesus looks at Peter and says, don't be afraid. You do not have to be afraid. How can Jesus say this? This is the beauty of knowing Jesus is that our lives don't have to be governed by fear. Because if you're wondering what the point of all this is, if you're wondering where Jesus is going... If you want that little spoiler alert, um, uh, Jesus is on a mission in this life to see that our sin does not get to have the last word about our relationship with God. That's what Jesus is. That's what. That's the trajectory that Jesus is on. That when we can't come near to God because of our sin. God comes near to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he reveals himself to us simply because he loves us. And as he nears the end of this public ministry, we are going to see him make his way to a cross. And it's there under the weight of Peter's sin, of all this unholiness that he's thinking of. 
and my own sin and your sin. It's there that Jesus offers a sacrifice that makes the payment that's due for our sin and makes it possible for you and me to enjoy the goodness of God that we are created for. And listen, if you are right with God, then you are safe. And you don't have to be afraid. But that's not all Jesus does when he reveals himself to Peter. There's also a transformation that begins to set in. Jesus now informs Peter that he's going to be a different kind of fisherman. How many people can do that with you? Uh, You're not going to do this anymore. You're going to do that. He starts to, he, he tells him he's going to change him. But what strikes me most about this whole story is found in verse 11. It says, when they brought their boats to land, Peter and James and John left everything and they followed Jesus. Listen, Peter fished uh, all night and caught nothing. I'm sure that wasn't the first time that happened. Sometimes we get skunked, right? But each one of those fish represents some amount of money that Peter, uh, he would not have been a wealthy fisherman, could have taken to the market to sell. Two tons, two boats full worth of fish. They got back to the land and it says they walked away from it. Now look, this isn't, you know, a teaching that we're not allowed to have nice things. Or, or, or we're not allowed to be successful or, or embrace a, a life of poverty. This is nothing like that. But this is to call to our attention that Peter is now beginning to understand that life with Jesus is so transcendently valuable that it displaces anything else he could gather up for himself. Jesus said once that the kingdom of God is like a treasure in a field that a man finds and he covers it up and then goes and sells everything he had and then in his joy, he goes and buys that field. That life with Jesus, being known by Jesus and belonging to Jesus is far more valuable than anything we can accumulate to ourselves. And Peter is beginning to, beginning. that's the transformation that be, Peter is beginning to understand. And listen, the tra- trajectory of his life bears that out. I, I mean, he, do, he, he walks with Jesus and he does some incredible things. There's a story in Acts chapter 2 where he preaches at Pentecost. And, uh, and it said people were struck to the heart and the Holy Spirit added people to the kingdom, about 3,000 people. But it wasn't all roses for Peter, was it? I mean, there are many things. Sometimes he acted rashly. He suffered the harshest rebuke, I think, recorded by Jesus. And in, in perhaps the lowest of lows of his life, uh, he, for fear, because he was afraid, denied knowing Jesus three times the night before Jesus died. Just like Jesus had predicted. And it said, as the story goes, the rooster crows twice. And then Peter broke down and wept because he realized what he had done. How can we make sense of this? How can, how can the, guy, the same guy in the boat 
seeing Jesus for all he is, also be the same guy that for fear of his life denies knowing Jesus? How can the same guy who, who left everything and followed him be afraid to be associated by him, with him? At some point, when you're going on a vacation, you should swing by Kennebunkport, Kennebunkport, Maine. You should go there. For the town name alone, it's amazing. Don't go in the winter, though. It'll be very cold. But you should go, and you should check out the dock square where the water meets the land and eat seafood there and feel the cool breeze coming out of the ocean. And when you're there, you need to swing by the sacristy at St. Anthony's Chapel, and you will see a beautiful stained glass window of Peter. And if you look over his shoulder, you're going to see a rooster crowing. And while history will remember what Jesus did that night, the promise of Jesus is that God won't. That God will look at you, and what he will remember is the sacrifice that was made for you. And he will look at you with eyes of mercy, and he will call you his beloved. May it ever be so. Amen.